pair of Central Division stars are set to miss a significant amount of ice time over the coming weeks. We ponder how this could affect their respective teams and their trade deadline plans. Meantime, a trio of pending free agents decide to stay with their current clubs. Did they make the right choice? And more importantly, did their team they're staying with make the right move? Episode 311 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubuff. Uh, so we have a uh, big news in the uh, appetizers section, uh, Brett. Uh, the captain, the heart and soul of the ads, Gabriel Landis Cog, out indefinitely, uh, undergoing knee surgery. Yeah, knee surgery. So they said that he's out for the season. It's unclear if he'll be ready for the playoffs. Of course, surgery is like a serious thing. So who knows? Even if he does make it to the playoffs, who knows how healthy he'll actually be. Um, but yeah, of course, either way, it's like a huge blow for the Colorado Avalanche, of course. But uh, they could pull a Tampa Bay Lightning and get like Claude Giroux now. Uh, so because they don't have to worry just for the year because they don't have to worry about um, their cap space in the playoffs. And if if you put Gabriel Landeskog on LTIR, um, that's like Landeskog's making $7 million now. Um, you can just put him on LTIR, so you have $7 million to move. Um, so I guess on the bright side, uh, the Avalanche could could do something with, uh, with that um, if they really wanted to do that. However, like, you know, uh, it's, it's very possible that they just stay put and they're, they're fine with doing that. I don't think they're going to stay put, though. But, um, but yeah, of course, it's like it's a serious issue. I feel like Landis Gog always misses like some games every year because he's um, it's just like a matter of how many games. But it's I don't think he's ever had a full he's played a full season. Um, yeah, just looking here, he's, he's only played a full season once in his life. Oh, no, wait, he played a full season last year uh, for 50, but like that was like half yeah. the season. A quote-unquote <laughs> full season. Yeah, yeah, that was 54 games. But, oh, wait, no, wait, 56, uh, so he no, didn't yeah, even play okay. a full season. So just, I think he missed two due to COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, he, he's only made 82 games twice in his 11-year career. Um, oh, okay. Uh, won his rookie year, where he won the Calder, and then won in his fourth year. Um, so, um, but yeah, so uh, anyways, he has 59 points in 51 games, so he's doing really well. Of course, uh, I guess that's the highest pace he's ever had. Oh, wait, I yeah. guess uh, 75 points in 73 games in the 2018 season. But, um, but yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, either way, it's it's going to be a huge blow to the Colorado Avalanche. However, I think I feel like they're they're I mean they're definitely still going to make the playoffs. They're top of their division, um, and like by far, um, they have eighty seven points. The next closest is the Blues, who have seventy five points. So that's like a twelve point difference. Um, so so yeah, even if they do slip, they. Um, they'll probably still make it in the the top three of the central. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I am curious to see what they do because maybe they do, tra- they're more lenient to trade for Claude Giroux and then pull a Kucherov of last year. Yeah. And, and let's, let's be perfectly honest. The, the question isn't what, uh, whether or not Colorado is going to make the playoffs is what they do when they get there. Yep. Um, This team is built uh, to presumably go deep in the playoffs. Um, But there have been times this year where I've doubted if they can do that. Mm -hmm. And this was before the Landis Cog injury. Um, By the way, um, there was a lower body injury in 2019 that cost Landis Cog 16 games. Um, So it's it's not like uh, the Avs haven't dealt with this before. They've also dealt with uh, Rantanen for an extended period of time in previous years. Uh, they've uh, had McKinnon miss some right. significant time as well. 
Uh, and they've always risen above those challenges. I think they missed Makar for a good period of time yep. this year, too. But, hey, guess what? Devin Tavis is playing out of his mind. So right. it, it, it seems whatever curveball you throw at the Avs, they find a way to put the, the right pieces in place and, and get by it. But mm-hmm. no doubt this is going to hurt their offense somewhat just because of the career year that he's having. If you look at a full 82-game season with Landis Cog at full strength, he gets 95 points. Uh, it hasn't been nearly that high ever in his NHL career. He's already got 30 goals de- doing that in just 51 games. Uh, the other time that he got uh, 30 plus goals uh, in a season, uh, that was in 2018-19 when he appeared in 73 games. So this is his best goals per game too. Um, 150 shots currently. So that would be 240. 150 shots this year um, wouldn't be a personal best because somehow as a rookie he got like 270, which is crazy. Um, but his shooting percentage at 20% his best before this year was 14.5%. So from an offensively efficient standpoint, um, it doesn't get much better than what Landis Cog has been able uh, to put out there. He's also a big net front presence. He uh, is ranked fifth across the entire NHL in tip shots with 20 so if you're looking for guys that can skate circles around you and set up players for highlight real goals, yeah, the Avs have a lot of those. They have Ranton and McKinnon, to name a few, and on the back end, they have McCarr. But in terms of, like, gritty fours that can go to the net, obviously Nazem Kadri is one. But a guy that's um, probably not getting the kind of praise that he should most times is Landis Cobb. Um The other thing that they're going to miss is his leadership. He's just a guy that... Uh, doesn't really panic he keeps his cool and he leads the team in previous years nathan mckinnon at times uh can i wouldn't say it's easy to set off but like um there was that regular season game against arizona Uh, of all teams arizona you lose your cool against them what happens in the playoffs if uh, the bounces aren't going your way and the calls aren't going your way you can't afford to get flustered if you're Nathan McKinnon. You need to be motivated, but not let that level of frustration consume you and have that positive energy turn negative against your team. Uh, Nazem Kadri has, uh, we, we've seen that all too well during his time in Toronto with those mm-hmm. unnecessary round one suspensions. They need guys like McKinnon and Kadri to step up. And it starts with being mentally prepared to go on a deep playoff run. So Nikushkin in. They could put Burakovsky into Landeskog's spot. They have Alex Newhook, Mikhail Maltsev. Although the NHL numbers aren't there this year, he's done great in the AHL as well. Uh, so you could slot him in on a third or a fourth line role if you really needed to. There are ways that Colorado can sort of make up for the offense that Landeskog leaves behind for the short term. But the long term, when you get to the playoffs, when you need that composure, if they don't have Landis Cog there, I I don't know if I feel comfortable turning to McKinnon and saying, we need you to lead this team on top of doing everything that you're most capable of. I think for guys like McKinnon and Rantanen, you just need to let them play their game. Um, and if, if they're being forced to kind of like lead by example and kind of lead this team to the playoff run that everyone's been expecting of this team for so long. I don't, I don't know if those guys have, have, have really mastered it to the point that Landis Cog has uh, to get the abs in a position where they can go on that deep run. So maybe they add a guy like Drew to kind of help with that leadership thing too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I wonder if they take a guy like Giroux or I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank on all the other players that are out there or rental players that they could get, but I'm sure that it would definitely help. Giroux is top of mind. Um, and we'll talk about Pavelski. So, uh, so he's out of the picture. Uh, Pavelski would have fit that, that mold as well. Yeah. Um, He would have been a good fit for them. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, in turn, uh, next on the docket is Craig Anderson. Uh, he gets mm-hmm. his 300th win. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but um, 
I, are you looking at his stats? Because this wouldn't be a fun game if you were looking at his stats. <laughs> um, I don't have them on me, okay, but I good. visited his stats. Okay, so that's, frequently. that's fine. That's fine. Uh, so he's played for six teams um, mm-hmm. in his career. Do you want, uh, obviously, yeah. Ottawa and Buffalo? Do you want to guess the four other teams that he's played? For? Oh, yeah, this is easy. He started off his career with Chicago, then he went to Florida, where he was a serviceable backup. Then he uh, went to Colorado and was absurdly good for the Avs in 2009-10. Then he was traded in a one-for-one deal involving Brian Elliott in February of 2011. That's how he got to Ottawa. Then uh, the Sens, um, where he played parts of 10 seasons with, um, opted not to re-sign him after the 2019-20 season. He goes to Washington and then uh, eventually finds his way in Buffalo where he signs for the league minimum. Yeah, basically uh, 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 spark notes of his career. But yeah, of course you would know that because he, he's been your starter for 10 years. So I guess he was also sense. drafted by Calgary, then yeah. re-entered the draft and was drafted by Chicago. Right, right. People, um, people forget that he was Calgary property before anyone else. Well, I forgot that he was uh, Colorado starter in t- 2009, 2010. He um, played 71 games. 71 games for that. <laughs> he got to see yeah. a lot of them. He had a 917 save percentage and was fourth in Vezina, ninth in a hard trophy that year, which is insane. Yeah, um, he had yeah. Uh, 38 wins and seven shutouts. Both remain career highs to this day and yeah. probably will remain career highs the day he retires. Because, right, right. I mean, you talk about guys um, and well, workload management with all the teams like the days of goalies even hitting 70 games played in a regular season they're gone you'll well, never see that again well he did have a 941 save percentage uh but in uh 2012 2013 year but that was the short yeah, and that year. was a shortened season and it was only it was 24 games but like still yeah. that's very impressive as well <laughs> which um, is still pretty good yeah. but yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very good um, but, uh, but yes, no, of course, I guess you could make a case that the 2009-2010 year was better just because he played more games or way more games. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, and especially yeah. when you consider he was a career backup up until that point, yeah. he had not really been a starter and the sure. abs, if you recall, they drafted Duchesne third overall the year before so that they weren't really expected to do much of anything. No. No. And the next thing you know, they're in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, so, anyways, um, he uh, and then he also won a master tin because uh, he survived cancer and then played like the his following wife year. did, but oh, yeah, it was did. it was right. a very uh, emotional uh, journey and uh, and he missed a, a fair bit of time that season. I think yeah. Mike Condon started like it was at least twenty games in a row. Yeah, like yeah. it's crazy how much he played. Uh, so, anyways, uh, you you probably have much more than you've already said, uh, but two hundred and two wins for Ottawa, um, which I thought mm-hmm. was impressive. Um, he's only he only played four games for Washington, uh, but he won two of them. He did play a couple of playoff games for Washington, if I remember correctly. Um, but um, but yeah, he's he's kind of like uh, I mean I don't think anyone's gonna say that he's like. Uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, but he like I wouldn't be shocked if he makes it to the Hall of Fame maybe like in his fifth year or something like that. Um, if it's like a slow draft, uh, slow class that's like doesn't have a ton of people, but I could see him eventually just just making it because just even like playing twenty base almost twenty years in the NHL um, as a goalie is is very impressive. So I, I feel like that deserves it in his own right. Um, but he, he's probably, I, I guess he's like still on the fringe of making the Hall of Fame. Cause I don't think at any point you would say that this guy is like the, in the top five of best goaltenders in the league. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think he'll probably eventually make it there. Um, if people lower their standards just a little. <laughs> I mean, if, if people lower their standards, they got to put Cujo in as well as yeah, Greg Anderson. Because that guy's still waiting, and he got, like, 400-plus yeah. wins. Yeah, yeah. Like, Cujo's been waiting a long time already. Yeah, that's a is. good point. Um, but anyways, but, you, uh, I'll yeah. let you talk more about him because he was your guy for, for so long. 
what I remember about Craig Anderson, and you'll probably never admit it, um, but I remember Craig Anderson and those Senators teams he played for. And while they had a lot of gems like Eric Carlson and Mark Stone and, yes, Mike Hoffman, those Sens teams pale in comparison to the early to mid-2000s teams that Ottawa greeted us with. We're talking Alfredson in his prime, Spezza just starting his NHL career, Marion Hosa just getting into his prime, Zidane Chera in his prime. The type of team that you would ultimately at some point expect, just you wait, they're going to win the title this year. Imagine what his record, his numbers could have been if he played on those teams. Craig Anderson, at times, put the Sens on his back and just just stole two points from the other team out of spite almost. Like, it's crazy how many games he won by himself. Uh, but when he's asked about uh, all of the accolades, um, he is quick to point to all of the quality, like Eric Carlson, like Mark Stone, during that 2017 playoff running point to a rock-steady defense of Dion Phaneuf, the inspiration that Clark MacArthur provided, and he provides some inspiring moments in the playoffs that year, no question about it, um, and the story that he had. And Mike Condon playing the amount of games that he did while he was away, that was also huge. People forget about the role that he played. And he's very quick to acknowledge those guys, and um, it is it, a very humble guy and a consummate professional. Like, he's a pro. Like, when, when Craig Anderson signed with the Buffalo Sabres, I'm thinking, man, I know you want to get to 300 so bad, but of all the circuses, you could have avoided it. Like, this is probably the one you really want to avoid. And he doesn't care. He just wants to go out there and have fun, be with the guys, help a young team mature and grow, offer what level of expertise he can, and just show up to the rink, put on his work boots, and just give his team a chance to win. And he's done that wherever he goes, regardless of how good the team is or how bad the team is. I didn't really realize this until I took a look at his stats. He lost his first 13 decisions with Chicago before he got his first win. And his first win, of course, was a shutout uh, in January of 2004. So he's, he's, he's a guy that just tries his best, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of who's playing against him. He just goes out there and he fights to the end. He gives you everything he has. And that is the definition of the team player. And I'm very happy he achieved this milestone, something that only 38 other goalies have done, only five other American-born goalies have done. To be just on that list is very, very impressive. And the fact that he got two-thirds of those wins with the Sens, at the worst that'll happen is that... Craig Anderson gets his number retired by the Sens. He's the winningest goalie in Sens history, and he played like it. Yeah, um, yeah, he he was very good. <laughs> I just realized I I talked to him like he had retired uh, when I was making an age, uh, a Hall of Fame. It, it, it could, he, this could be but, his final year, Brett. Honestly. Yeah. No, no. When he was when he was asked a couple years ago about what keeps him going, he mentioned three hundred wins. It was a carrot dangling out in front. And now that he's got that, and he's not close to his family, his his uh, his wife Nicole is is raising their kids, um, and like they're facetiming each other constantly, just keeping each other in the loop. He's gonna be forty one in May. Like, I don't think he wants to keep doing that for a couple more years. He probably wants to spend more time with his family. It wouldn't shock me if this is his last year. Yep. Um, he might go to a contender at the deadline, and I encourage a contender, if you're going to get some goalie help, why not Craig Anderson at the league minimum? He can offer a lot to a contending team. Just yep. just give it a, sh- a chance. You never know. Like Even Toronto. Like, yeah. it, Craig Anderson versus Carter Hutton. Who are you taking? I'd right. take Craig Anderson. Well, Toronto is seeing what Craig Anderson can do right now um, in the outdoor game. But yes, uh, um, yeah, no, no, that is a good point too because he it says that he's forty years and two hundred and ninety six days old. Yep. So yeah, it's it's very uh, possible that this will be his last year. Um, and I also just noticed that he's 
uh, from Park Ridge, Illinois. So it is kind of fitting that uh, he ended up playing for Chicago or his first couple of times in Chicago, uh, just because mm-hmm. that's where he's nearby. So, um, so that's kind of cool to, to see as well. All right. Uh, then, uh, so in other news, uh, we're going back to the injury vault. Um, Miro Heiskanen, uh, he contracted mononucleosis, uh, which means that he's going to be week to week. Uh, he's out indefinitely, but it's very possible that, like, just based off of, I think, like, Carter Hart had mono a couple of years ago, uh, that, like, kept him out for, like, months or something like that. So, um, so if you, like, t- I, it, it wouldn't shock me if, um, if the stars, like, uh, they don't have, like, he's out for the rest of the season. Um, but technically right now he's out indefinitely. Um, what's interesting though, like compared to Gabe Landeskog, who we just talked about, uh, the Avalanche are in first place in their division. Um, if they lose a couple games, they'll, they'll still probably still be in first place. But for the... Dallas Stars, they're fighting for a playoff spot, um, and they need Miro Heiskanen. Um, it's, and I, I do wonder what this does for, uh, well, well, we're just about to talk about Joe, Joe Pavelski, but um, I do wonder what this does for John Klingberg uh, because he had requested a trade and he's going to be a free agent too. So I do wonder if this means that, like, they're going to try, like, does this mean that John Klingberg's going to stay because they're unsure of what Miro Heiskanen um, will, uh, is, like, how healthy Miro Heiskanen can be? Or is it just, like, you know, maybe they just give up on the year? Which is also kind of strange if they signed Joe Pavelski for another year. So, um, so yeah. Because uh, then you would think that they, if they given up on the year, then they would try to trade Joe Pavelski to give him another shot at the cup. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I am curious from that standpoint. But, um, but yeah, Miro Heiskanen. Uh, the other thing before I give it back to you, twenty nine points in fifty two games this year. So that's pretty good already. Um, and yeah, we'll see what he can do um, or how healthy he can be, and and hope he recovers nicely. Um, if, if the stars make the playoffs, uh, that's not a set thing just yet. Yeah. And you look at the central division standings, uh, Brett, the stars currently at the moment we're talking are 32, 22 and three with 67 points. Believe it or not, that's fifth in the division. Remember Nashville and the hot start they were on at the beginning of the year. Dallas is only three points behind them, and Nashville is currently fourth in the Central. Then you have the Wild at 72 points. They have won 34 of their 57 games. So that's only a five-point gap between Dallas and Minnesota for third place. And then even the Blues, who have had inconsistent goaltending for the better part of the past month or so, they might have 75 points, but I think second place is also up for grabs there. So all it takes is one quality winning streak and the stars could end up with a top three spot. So that's, that's the interesting thing that we're going to talk about uh, with, with Joe Pavelski. When we talk about Joe Pavelski, the thing with um, mono Brett, for those of you who don't know what mono is, um, if you've ever had it, I'm sure, you know, it's pretty bad. If you've never had it, I hope you never do because it's pretty bad. Uh, And here's a bit of a science crash course for you. It's a contagious infection, which is caused by a herpes virus, Grim, I know. Uh, Other viruses can also lead to mono. And people who get it are in for a rough ride, experiencing things like extreme fatigue, fever, and body aches. So just because Miro Heiskanen could be back in like, I don't know, say a month, it doesn't mean he's going to be back at full strength. And when you consider how valuable he is on both sides of the puck for this team, and the amount of minutes that he eats up, he eats up the most minutes per game. Uh, I think it's just under 25 minutes per game at the time of this. Um, so that's a very big piece to lose. And you're not really sure how long it's going to be until he's back at full strength. And you're starting to see the amount of minutes that are being distributed. Ryan Suter, who is not necessarily a top two defenseman anymore, 
uh, over the three games since Heiskanen went down, he averaged 27-12 per game, which is pretty crazy. That was an increase about four minutes per game than his season average of 23-16. You look at someone like Joel Hanley and Thomas Harley, they're eating up some minutes, but combined, it's like 18-19 minutes per game, and they're young guys, so you don't expect them to take up a lot of that ice time. Uh, You look at someone like S.L. Lindell to deliver in several different areas of that defense. His three-game average after Iceland went down was 24-14. His season average at the time was 22-16. So again, an uptick from his uh, season average. Uh, You look at someone like, for example, John Klingberg, who is on the trade block at the moment. Um, I mean, (laughs) you're looking at a guy that was a healthy scratch at one point this year. And again, surprise, surprise, uh, John Klingberg is averaging more than his season average over the course of those three games. And there was, there was a time where he was on the bottom pair. And he still wants to get paid like A plus million, Miro Heiskin and money. And there's the most glaring example out of all this is Yanni Hockenpah, who has averaged a whopping 26-27 over that three-game stretch. His TOI average from the first 52 games was 15-17. Yeah. (laughs) And a guy who is, again, don't get me wrong, a quality guy that gives you everything he has every single shift, he's more of a shot blocker defenseman, not a top two blue liner in every sense of the word. And he's averaging 26, 27 minutes per game because they need guys to fill those minutes. So, yeah, uh, it it would be a stretch to say that uh, the Dallas Stars aren't feeling this. Uh, and you saw it against the Rangers, where they jump out to a 2 nothing lead in the first five minutes, and the Rangers can score at will. So, of course, Dallas loses six, uh, by a score of 7-4. to uh, Over the course of the final month, six weeks, eight weeks, uh, not having Miro Heiskanen at full strength could really catch up to Dallas. And Jake Ettinger, we all know, can't do everything by himself. So, um, I... I Does it affect their plans with John Klingberg? The way I see it is if you're going to rely on the youth like Jason Robertson and Rupe Hintz, you need to keep building on that because I really don't know what the core of Ben and Sagan and Pavelski are going to be like in the next couple of years and what your plan is to continue to um, ice a team that can consistently contend for a playoff spot. At some point, I think those Ben and Sagan contracts aren't going to be worth their while. And you could argue they're not at the moment. So if you let Klingberg walk for nothing, that's bad asset management. And there's no way I would really pay Klingberg when you have Jason Robertson to pay after this year and Rupe Hints to pay the year after that. They're, they're producing at a point-per-game pace. How could you not pay those guys? So I don't think it changes their plans really with John Klingberg, especially when you consider the young defenseman that they have coming up, that at some point, uh, if you sign John Klingberg to that massive contract that he's looking for, halfway through that contract, you could be faced with a situation of, okay, do we keep Klingberg or do we go with the young guy? Right. So that, that, that's the way I see it. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I think they're probably they're probably going to um if I had to guess they're probably going to be sellers at the deadline um and trade John Klingberg, but uh but yeah, at the same time and <laughs> this is a good segue. Uh they signed Joe Pavelski for one more year. Um and Joe Pavelski, I mean, we talked about him before on the show. Um, in recent episodes, but yeah, he has, uh, he's having a really good season, 60 points in 57 games. Um, and he's, you know, he's 37 years old, so he's not like necessarily young. I mean, maybe it like, uh, so it's, it was a one year deal, uh, for 5.5 million. Uh, so let, he was making, or he is making 7 million right now. So it's like, you know, he gets a decrease in salary, but, maybe this is just like a way to show like he wants to be a part of this team because he believes in their future for next year. And if they make the playoffs, maybe he believes in them this year. Uh, But, uh, 
but yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, I, I feel like it's an interesting move from Joe Pavelski because I feel like he could have signed with Colorado. He could have signed with like. Uh, there's a bunch of teams that have a better shot of making the playoffs, and at this point in his career, there's not like there's really only you know the cup is probably his, the only thing that he needs to really do to prove himself, um, and or that he would really want because he's he's pretty much done everything else, or he's he's shown how capable he is on everything else. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I am curious as to why Pavelski decided to stay in Dallas. Um, and maybe it's just like a sign of faith in Jim Neal that he's like, okay, well, uh, Jason Robertson, he's due for a payday, um, this season. And, you know, maybe they don't sign Radulov. Maybe they, uh, don't sign Gary, Garyanov or whatever, but, um, or Klingberg is gone, but he believes in the, in the team. And they, um, and they can, uh, you know, move from there or they can, I guess if it's like a, a terrible situation by the halfway point next year, then maybe that would be the point when they trade Pavelski and move him on to some other team. Cause then that's an easier cap hit, even if you retain some like 50% of it or 75% or whatever, uh, versus like trading him now, um, at 7 million. Um, so, so yeah, maybe, maybe that's how they, they do it is just, uh, wait till next year and, and maybe trade them at that point. Yeah. And I can kind of understand why they keep them around, um, just yeah. because of the untalented that they have coming in. You look at what happened with the San Jose Sharks when Pavelski left and was like, you know, they could keep Eric Carlson, they can keep Joe Pavelski, they can't keep both guys, because that's the cap situation the Sharks are faced with. And I felt that, in terms of talent, they could have been able to survive without Pavelski. What I didn't expect is how much of his leadership they would miss. And the thing with Dallas is Joe Pavelski is on pace for 86 points over 82 games, which, uh, let's here oh yeah never done that that a career high for a guy who is currently 37 going to be 38 in july having his best season in terms of points for 82 and currently his best season ever as a member of the dallas stars he had 51 points in 56 games and that was after a tough regular season fortunately made up for in the playoffs but People forget in year one, he had 31 points in 67 games, a downgrade from what he had previously, which is why I was kind of thinking, you know, probably trading him would be best because that type of offensive regression you had in the 2019-20 regular season, that could be his numbers next year. So I think you're really missing out on the opportunity to make big bang for your buck and get him at a premium price where you can stock up on the young talent and continue the youth movement that way. But there also is the situation where the stars were basically asking for a fair bit for Pavelski. And a lot of teams are like, uh, no, right. <laughs> we don't feel comfortable giving you that much for an aging veteran like Joe Pavelski, even though this aging veteran is pretty damn good still. Yeah. The, the other thing and I say that because you look at the trades since Toffoli, they've been very minor one-for-one stuff. Like, there haven't really been any big trades that happened. Not even Ben Sherratt. Like, we're about a week before the trade deadline. We're still waiting for things to happen. And things have been pretty quiet on the trading front, which is, which is kind of interesting. So, I think the Stars are going to be like, you know, if it's not worth getting full value for Joe Pavelski, let's keep him for another year. He continues to mentor the young guys. There's nothing in the rule book that says we have to trade a guy just because he's on an expiring contract. We keep him for another year, see how things go. And if it doesn't work out next year, then we move him at the deadline. So I, I kind of see why it makes sense to move him, but I can also see why the stars decide to keep him. And I think for the time being, it is a good move because he can still offer a lot to them. Clearly. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, he is having a career year. Um, and you know, I guess, and who knows, maybe the stars do end up making the playoffs and 
we don't know what we're talking about. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, I, I I think you have a good point too. Is like he he offers even more stuff that's not on the ice, and he's still like pretty good now. Like even, I I don't think he's going to be like a point per game player for the rest of his career, or more than a point per game player like he has been. But, uh, but yeah, even, even if you don't, you get like his leadership and he's been around the NHL for a long time. So he can help guys like Jason Robertson and Rupert, Rupert and, um, and like, even like Thomas Harley on the defensive side of things, or even like Jake Edinger, who's a coolie here. So, so yeah, I think he can definitely help out a bunch of these, uh, like the young guys, um, get acclimated to the NHL, um, as they as they grow as well so so that's definitely possible as well um all right so now we have like i i guess it was like a head scratcher from joe pavelski but this if that was a head scratcher this is like a this next move is like a it's like more than a head scratcher actually i i failed at this analogy um but anyways rasmus ristolainen he gets signed for five uh an extension Five more years with at uh, five point one million. Um, so it would be one thing if like maybe Rasmus Ristolainen improved on Buffalo, um, which he hasn't. Uh, he has fifteen points in fifty one games, um, whereas like last year he had eighteen points in forty nine games, um, and that was one of his worst years in Buffalo. Um, and now uh, he has he also has a minus twelve and plus minus, um, and like. You know, he does hit a lot, um, as we always mention um, with him. He has 185 hits so far in uh, 51 games and 95 blocks, which I think is why so many, uh, like, why Philadelphia loves him so much or why Chuck Fletcher wanted, like, paid so much to get him. Uh, But at the same time, uh, he's, like, not good <laughs> at all. Uh, he's not good at uh, defense. And, like, I think that's the other point that it's, like, if you have to hit that many times, like, that just means that your team is not having the puck as much as you should be. Um, and he has, like, a, a 44% Corsi uh, for. I know, like, uh, I'm sure there's even more advanced stats that would show that uh, that's that's pretty bad too, or that how bad he actually is on, on that front. But uh, yeah, he's not good on defense. But yes, somehow he's worth five point one million uh, for five years, um, which I guess is twenty five point five million. Um, so so that that's um, yeah, it's it's just a it's a crazy contract. But, like it would be one thing if the Flyers were good now, and they're not. They're, they're having the worst season um, that they could possibly have after all the moves that they made. And I guess it's not entirely their fault. Like, you know, Ryan Ellis um, has been injured for most of the year. Sean Couturier is out for the season um, and, and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, like Rasmus Ristolainen, like even if they were doing well, Rasmus Ristolainen has not had, had a great season this year. And to judge it just from his time in Philadelphia, just from that, it's like, it's just insane that he's worth this much. Um, so I, this is one of the ones where I'm like, even like a year from now, I'm just going to be like, I can't believe that Rasmus Ristolainen is worth $5.1 million, uh, for five years. Um, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one that they're going to regret now, and it's one that they're going to regret five years from now. See, I think a lot of people are confused by what Philadelphia's motive is because when I hear aggressive retool and I think of all the players that could be on the move like Justin Braun and Martin Jones and heck, even Claude Giroux, I put Rasmus Ristolainen ahead of all of them. And he's the first guy they keep for $5.1 for the next five years. The good news is, hey, if we're looking at the bright side, there's not a single no trader, no move to be seen, which good because uh, if he doesn't perform, this becomes an untradeable contract <laughs> straight yeah. up. And, and you know what? There, not all of this is Ristolainen's fault. 
because you're looking at a guy that was basically thrown to the wolves right from day one in Buffalo. There wasn't much structure, defensive structure wise, veteran wise. There just wasn't enough structure for him to like really get on a level playing field. Like you look at his second year where he was averaging 20, 37 per game. He averages all the way up to 25, 17. The next gets 137 hits are 137 blocks, excuse me, 139 hits, uh, nine goals and 41 points, 21 of those points on the power play, by the way, 45 points uh, the next year after that with 25 on the power play, 195 hits, 161 blocks. He's averaging 26, 28 per game at this point. Again, a 2016, 17 Sabres team that shows a lot of promise. They have Jack Eichel there and uh, shocker didn't make the playoffs. Um, and then you get to 2017-18 where they're, they end up getting Dahlin in the lottery because, shocker, they're still bad. And Ristolainen is still putting up decent numbers. 41 points this time, 23 power play points, uh, 206 hits, 111 blocks. He's averaging 26-30 per game. In between all of this, like he's averaging up somewhere between 180 to 200 shots on goal. Then you get to 2018-19 where he gets 43 points, 182 shots on goal, 17 power play points, 121 blocks, 235 hits, which is crazy. He's averaging three minutes of power play time in between uh, this four-year stretch, by the way. He's averaging at least three minutes of power play time. But his ice time overall goes down to 24-38. And that's a theme because the next year it goes down to 22-48 and then down to 22-17. And then it's only year in Philly to date, 21-27. It goes down again. And while he's still hitting and while he's still blocking shots, the power play points are going down. The points in general are going down. He's projected for a career-earst 24 points over 82 games. He has 15 and 51 this year. Um, and uh, he's projected to, I think, miss the 100-shot barrier for the second straight year. The bottom line is... This is a guy that was having a lot of things tossed at him all at once. And I don't think that's really changed in Philadelphia. I don't think for a second this guy has really played in the right structure. And when I talk about structure, I'm going to talk about two names right now. Both of them play for the Calgary Flames that have kind of gotten this reputation of big hitters, but not really sure in the grand scheme of things what type of defenseman they can be. The first name is Nikita Zadorov, who we're talking about defensemen that can lower the boom. This guy, at best, 190 to 210, 220 hits per season is what you're going to get. He even got 278 in 2017-18 uh, with the Avs. He can also get you 60 to 70 block shots as an estimate. It's been as high as 106 in a single season. But this guy, not once, not once has he averaged 20 minutes per game uh, over the course of the season. He's come close a few times, but he hasn't hit that 20-minute barrier. This year, his ice time has gone down from 19-12 in Chicago, his only season in Chicago, to 16-57 in Calgary. And he has 15 points in 51 games. That's a 24-point pace over 82 games. Shockingly, that is on track to be a career best. And Rasmus Ristolainen is a minus 12, while Nikita Zadorov is a plus 10. The next guy I'm going to talk about is everyone's favorite top three def uh, top three uh, pick in terms of defenseman, Erica Branson. He has 14 points in 58 games with Calgary, a 20-point pace over 82 games. That is career high, ladies and gentlemen. 106 hits, 67 blocks. He averages 18-13 with the Flames. Is uh, highest total since 2019-20 when he split it with Anaheim and Pittsburgh. Um, that year, he had like nine points in 51 games. These guys are on a structured Flames defense that isn't giving up too many goals against, at times shutting teams out very efficiently, and is and th and these two guys are playing for a coach that knows structure and knows how to get players to buy in. Philly's coaching situation, they've gone through two coaches this year because, well, Mike Yeo at the time isn't really having the best luck, and Alain Vigneault didn't have the best luck uh, for the better part of the past 18 months. 
uh, because he's out of a job right now. Right. If you put Rasmus Ristolainen on a team with structure, a team like the Islanders or a team like the Flames, just to name two examples, I think this situation could be different. But if you're putting Ristolainen on a situation in Philly where you're hoping that a game-changing guy like Ryan Ellis can be healthy, he's only played four games with him, so that hasn't worked. If you're hinging a lot of this on Ryan Ellis to help fix Ivan Provorov's game and Rasmus Ristolainen to be that shutdown defensive force that we're all hoping he can be and maybe put in... uh, you know, 20, 25 points a season, that would be great for him. If you're hinging on all of that, on the health of Ryan Ellis, that's not a good recipe to build a good defensive structure. And it's not going to get better unless some things change with the Flyers' defensive structure and the other guys around him. So why are you paying a guy like Crystal Lane and this much money on what-ifs that could very easily blow up in your face? Especially when you're thinking of moving on from Claude Giroux. Like, how are you going to aggressively retool your roster if you just put another bothersome contract potentially on your books? Like, that limits what you can do to revive this team in the coming years if this indeed turns out bad. It's just so much risk and so much risk that it's not even worth taking. Right, right. Like, yeah. I can understand one year. I can understand one more year. But five? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's, that part's insane, too. Um, yeah, no, and you bring up a good point in terms of, like, it, Philly doesn't have, like, the structure like New, the New Islanders have or um, other defensive-minded teams do. But, um but at the same time, it's like, how do you instill, like, a defensive culture like that? I guess a lot of that just comes in with the coaches that you have and, and things like that. So that's more of, like, a coaching, scouting, development type uh, thing versus just, like, the actual player. Um, and I guess that that could be a start to it. But at the same time, it's like, uh, Ristolainen's been in the league for, like, seven years now. Um, and, uh, yeah, he... It's like, we, this is what you're going to get out of Ristolainen. And so it's like, do you want, like, I don't think he's going to get any better than this. And if he does, it's maybe it's just marginally better. So it's like this, and, and what you're getting right now is not worth five, uh, five years and 5.1 million. So yeah, I don't really understand what they're doing. I mean, it's just a baffling type of thing. Um, so another five point, uh, a five year by five, million or i guess five million by five years um contract was also assigned this year or this this time it's actually five not 5.1 um it's to jared mccann uh for the seattle kraken um and I, you know at the start of the year if you were to tell me like okay who's going to be the best forward for the seattle kraken um who would that be and you, you may have guessed, or I may have guessed, like, Yanni Gord or Jordan Eberle, and that would have been fine. But uh, Jeremy McCann would have been an underrated pick. And so far, he has been, like, the best player for Seattle, or the best forward for Seattle. Um, and that would be uh, 35 points in 53 games, which isn't a ton, uh, granted. But, uh, but he is tied with Yanni Gord for the most points on the Kraken lineup. Um, with and they both have 35 points in 53 games, um, but uh, Jared McCann has 23 goals, whereas Yanni Gord has 13. Um, so I, I feel like that like goals are a lot harder to come by than assist. Um, so I, I feel like um, I, I, w- I would give that more towards Jared McCann than to Yanni Gord, um, even though their their points and their games played are identical. Um, so, anyways. Um, but I guess technically they're tied. Um, <laughs> but anyways, that's besides the point. Five, uh, five, uh, five million for five years. I think the interesting thing about the Seattle Kraken's lineup, though, or their cap situation, is that they have, um, they have now they have six forwards 
signed up for next year. And pretty much, so they have Cal Yarncock, Marcus Johansson, Riley Sheehan, and Colin Blackwell as UFAs. Then they have Mason Appleton, Cole Lind, Ryan Donato, and Morgan Geeky as RFAs. So that's um, eight guys, uh, eight forwards uh, that are going to be UFA or free agents this coming year. Then you have Mark Giordano as a UFA. You have Hayden Fleury and Jeremy Lazan as RFAs. So they have a lot of cap space um, in the coming um, in, in this offseason. and I think that was intentional um, because the yeah because that's just who they drafted and and uh, signed and all that stuff. So. It, it should also be noted, Brett, and people, um, I don't think, I don't feel too many people outside of Seattle have really paid attention to the Kraken because I put a lot of blind faith, as you know. I thought they were going to be a yeah. top three team in their division yep. uh, because the Pacific, in my opinion, was so winnable. The Seattle Kraken are currently 18-37-6, have a negative 61 goal differential, and are dead last in their division and to the point where Arizona is only two points back of them. Yep. With three games in hand on the Kraken. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Seattle does well, not equal Vegas 2017-18. No. But I, I will say that, like, I think we were, like, the reason why we thought Seattle was going to be good is, like, they added Philip uh, Grubauer, they added Jaden Schwartz in free agency, um, also Alex mm-hmm. Wenberg. Um, you know, and we, we knew that McCann and Yanni Gord were probably going to be good. And maybe we were a little bit biased based off of how Vegas did. Um, and that that's proven to be a bit of an anomaly. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't think they would be this bad. I never thought that they would make the playoffs though. Um, but like, yeah, I, I don't think we thought that they would be this bad. The other point before I of throw Of course, it, the blessing in disguise is they now so winning the... So they could they could end up with Shane Wright out of this. Yeah, yeah, no which good point. Isn't... Yeah, I the other point that I want to make, or two points that I want to make now. One, because uh, uh, so now, um, so uh, Jordan Eberle is five point has five point five for three more years. Jaden Schwartz has uh, five more years on five point five as well, and then you have Yanni Gordas five point one. This this deal makes. Jared McCann, the fourth highest paid forward, I guess. Yeah. Oh wait, if Grubauer is paid more, so the fifth, the sixth highest paid Seattle Kraken. Um, so in that res- respect, it's it's not too bad, um, especially since like he's a center right now, um, and that was like a big thing that everyone was talking about for Seattle. It's like, oh, they didn't get a center. They didn't get like. Uh, that that could be their weak point, um, and then they ended up drafting Matty Beniers. Who knows? Maybe they'll end up getting Shane Wright, who's another center. So so maybe this like deal will end up making Jared McCann turn into a second line center, or make him a winger um, instead. And if you get him at a winger, that's fine too. Particularly, I was just looking at this. Uh, did you know that he had thirty two points in forty three games last year for Pittsburgh? Uh, that's yeah. That's pretty he was good. one of the most underrated forwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. Even if you get him as like a as just a winger and like move him to the side, as you make like Matty Beniers the guy, or you make Shane Wright if they get him the guy, um, it's like you yeah make him into a left winger and uh, and you could get end up getting a pretty good deal for uh, for whoever is that center. Um, and, uh, because like once you get those centers, then, you know, you can start to build your team around them or it's much easier to build your teams around them. But even still, like if, if they don't get, uh, Shane Wright and they at least have Manny Beniers, who's going to be a pretty good center, um, it's like, or odds are is that he's going to be a pretty good center. Um, yeah, you're, you're going to have a, a pretty good deal. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I really like this contract compared to the other two that we just talked about. Yeah, and, and I think the upside is also a little bit better, too, because you kind of have an idea of what Ruslan is going to be. Um, as for Jared McCann, he's going to be 26 on May 31st. And 
Right now, he's on pace for 35 goals over a full 82 games. He has 23 and 53 this year. 13 points on the power play. That's more than last. 13 power play points have been goals. That's also a career high. He had seven last year. And last year, he was averaging 14.07 with the Penguins on pace for that 61-point pace and shooting at a 51 uh, at a 15.1% rate. You look at this year, his shooting percentage is even better at 16%, 23 goals on 144 shots. The plus minus is obviously a downgrade, but again, that negative goal differential for Seattle doesn't help. But the bottom line is, his ice time has gone from 14.07 up to 16.11. He's averaging 2.36 on the power play uh, per game this year. Last year was 159. And he's still producing at relatively the same rate as he was last year in a reduced role. So, or I shouldn't say reduced, but a minimal role. You get the idea. And this Seattle team, for all intents and purposes, doesn't have as much talent as uh, Pittsburgh did. Or at least it didn't have the intimidating star power that the Penguins did, which I think also factors into things. So... I think in the grand scheme of things, this could turn out to be one of those bargain contracts where you look at that and say, man, they really got a bargain with that. Like, how, how did they get him to, to that money? And it might seem like a gamble now, but again, if you put the pieces around Jared McCann, you could be looking at a consistent 30-goal score, maybe 60 to 70 points a year, easy. And just one of those underrated forwards, like Vegas had David Perron, uh, only had him for one year, but that one season with Vegas resurrected David Perron's career, and he's had a couple of great seasons with the Blues since then. I I said it when he was taken by the Kraken, this feels like David Perron 2.0 to me, and so far, he's, he's kind of turning heads like David Perron did when he was with Vegas that one year. Yeah, yeah, that's a... That's a good comparison, I guess, uh, David Perron. Well, I mean, I, I think it's like it's interesting because I feel like uh, like if if Vegas didn't happen, we would have such low expectations for Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. so I feel like that's just you know we should start to be like okay, well maybe it's not <laughs> we we shouldn't be doing that. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, at the same time, I, I think they, they could, either way, even if they don't get Shane Wright, they'll get probably get a top five pick um, in the draft, and that could be something that could definitely help them out in the future. And in a way, that's what we thought Vegas was going to do um, before they started to, to have that uh, breakout season, um, their first inaugural season. So... Um, so yeah, this this could be something where they just build out their prospect pool. I don't know if you realize this, but Ryan Winterton is actually like who's their second round pick. Uh, he's like one of the best players in um, in his league. I think it's the WHL. Um, so um, so yeah, maybe like you know they did have they did end up getting a good draft. Um, I, oh wait, no, he's uh, Ryan Winterton is in the OHL. Right, yeah, he's in the OHL. Yeah, he has uh, 55 points in 38 games. Um, or, sorry, 30 points in 21 games. I misread. Yeah, that, really that's his projection, which is, yeah. which is still, pretty, which is still yeah. pretty impressive. Which is still really good. But, um, but yeah, so he's uh, so that, that's like another guy in their system. They also drafted Riker Evans, who's doing well. So, um, and of course, Matty Beneers is doing well, too. So, I think they, they do have some good prospects in their system and it can only get better um, when they get more draft picks and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that could end up helping them out even in the long run. And it could end up helping, um, you know, guys like uh, Jared McCann um, in the future too. So, um, because then you're just, you're, you know, instead of working with, uh, Colin Blackwell, you're working with Matty Beneers and <laughs> and Ryan Winterton when they're when they make it to the league. So well, it's funny that you also mentioned uh, the prospects because uh, there's actually <laughs> funny yeah. funny enough um, there is one prospect that I'm kind of surprised that you didn't mention who's also out of the WA uh, also out of the OHL 
And uh, it should be noted that because of the COVID-19 pandemic taking out a year and a half of OHL play, you're wondering why is a 21-year-old playing in the OHL right now? Well, my guess is they're just like to all the overagers that didn't get to play their overage yeah. season, they're just like, you can come back for one more year, don't worry. And uh, this guy by the name of Ty Cardi is one of them. He is a left winger, and he has signed an entry-level contract uh, with the Seattle Kraken, completely undrafted by an NHL franchise. Uh, Kingston, Ontario born. Uh, so like, like I said, 21 years old. And uh, here's a look at his OHL numbers. He had 24 points in 64 games as a rookie, only four goals. And that's key to remember. Uh, his second year, which was cut short by COVID, 25 goals, 53 points in 64 games. Pretty respectable. This year he has 36 goals and 63 points in just 50 OHL games. And that's not really the best part about his offensive numbers. I'm just going to go uh, looking on the Ontario Hockey League website because I have to this. At one point this year, and we're talking like the first month to two months of the regular season, he had double digits in power play goals already. Oh, wow. And at the moment, he leads the league with 19 power play goals. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and he's taking 196 shots. So he's having a big year, too. Definitely another guy to watch out for. If, if you're a Kraken fan, uh, Ty Cardi could uh, be one of yeah. those uh, wild card picks for them. And they didn't even take him. They signed him as a free agent. Yeah, he's seventeenth uh, in the OHL right now. I'm looking. Yeah, it was funny when you were mentioning like the, as soon as you mentioned the prospect stuff, I actually had just looked at the uh, in the system from the Seattle Kraken a list, and I was just like, oh, he's going to mention Ty Carday as, <laughs> as, as soon as you're going to exactly say. that guy. Yeah, because yeah. 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 I was taking a look at at like oh, because I was just talking up the the prospect pool that they have. And then you're just like, and then I just see that Ty Carday has the most points out of anyone on the Seattle Kraken lineup, uh, according to Elite Prospects. So I was just like, oh, okay, that that that's pretty cool. Um, so so that's that's pretty funny. Um, there are a couple of other guys that I wanted to quickly mention. Uh, sure. Riker Evans has 53 points in 53 games with the WHL's Regina Pats. He's a defenseman, uh, he by the way. He was a second round pick uh, by the Kraken. I don't know if you mentioned him or not. I did mention him, but I didn't say his stats. Okay. So. Okay, yeah. He's, he's another he's had a pretty good year. We, we already talked about uh, Winterton uh, there yeah. just uh, scrolling through. Uh, they uh, also drafted a Finnish defenseman in uh, the fourth round. Um, so I think he's playing most of his uh, time uh, in Europe there. Uh, they also have uh, Jacob Melanson from the Akhetti Bathurst uh, Teton. Yep. And uh, he is a right winger, 35 points in 38 games, 23 goals. Not bad there. So they, again, like I said, they, they have a guys that you probably shouldn't want. They, they have uh, some dark horse picks yep. uh, to, to keep in mind. And uh, given the, uh, projected uh, top five potential that they have in the draft this year. Um, that list of promising prospects is only, only going to grow and it's only going to get better from here. Right. Um, not to mention like Cole Lind and Alex True is also someone right. to keep your eye on. Mm -hmm. uh, they've played a couple yep. of games in Seattle, but I don't think they've been able to do much uh, when they've been yeah. up. But nor, nor should they really. Right, right. This this is a inaugural season. You're no, just no, of course. killing guys out and just but like, finding you know, the best way to develop. But like they're, they're guys to keep an eye on for the future. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Bull End is a guy, uh, speaking of junior numbers, who really, really killed it yeah, yeah. Uh, during his time He's at good. the junior level. So. Um, and uh, the other point that I was going to make... Oh! That uh, Ty Carney, Riker, Evans, and uh, Ryan Winterton are all overagers, um, which means that, like, they were, well, well, I guess, as you're mentioning, Ty Carney wasn't even drafted, uh, but Riker, Evans, and Ryan Winterton, um, who was their second and third over uh, round picks, respectively, uh, they're both, um, like, they were both drafted as 19-year-olds instead of 18-year-olds. Um, so that's that's something to keep in mind too, which is which is fine. Um, but like it just means that like, in a sense that like their their development is later than like other guys, um, like uh, Maddie Veneers. 
Um, so so that that's something to keep in mind for sure when you like put them into the league because it's like well they're older than a lot of the guys in their league <laughs> in a sense. So of course the other the other name that I think that um, Seattle signs or just any team in yeah. particular uh, is uh, Dryden McKay. Remember that guy oh, yeah. from Minnesota. Uh, still not signed by an NHL team. He was the guy that yep. couldn't stop racking up shutouts last year. And taking a look at uh, his numbers of this year, yeah, he's, he's uh, really only well. got uh, two shutouts, shockingly, but he has 34 wins. Yep, yep, he's doing really well. Uh, but uh, the other thing that, that's interesting about the Kraken is because they have so many rental-type players... I wonder how much they're going to be sellers in the draft um, or during the trade deadline. Because, like, Mark Giordano is the one that makes the most sense. Um, well, he's the one I keep hearing about yeah, in yeah. terms of the trade chatter, yeah. <laughs> but I could see maybe, like, Cal Yarncock could get something. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I, I keep on seeing, like, Ryan Donato and Colin Blackwell scoring, even though they're, like, pretty cheap, too. So they could they could probably get something for them. Um, Marcus so, Johansson is only one point five million too. Regardless yeah. of his production, that would be, I think, a yeah. decent uh, prize to gamble on. Cal, Cal Yarncock too. So, um, yeah, that that they could definitely um, get something out of that. Uh, Junis Donskoy, who's in, on the injured reserve, so maybe that might not help, but he uh, he could be mm-hmm. he could be decent too. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, that's about it for us here at Lace Them Up. Uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast. Um, you can follow us on Twitter um, at Lace Up Podcast. You can also follow us on uh, Facebook at Lace Them Up. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Tubuff. I'm Steve Ellis from Top Gear, episode 312 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.